Shippers reclaim the skies. Trailer loading robots are coming. And new technicians in trucking. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Envision Global. Envision Global is a leader in global freight management solutions and services, specializing in freight audit and payment, order management, supplier management, visibility, TMS, and freight spend analytics. Why choose Envision Global over other providers? Well, their end-to-end solutions and services enable you to manage your entire global shipping process from the confines of a single, easy-to-use platform. Interested in saving 7 to 12% or more on your freight spend? Check out EnvisionGlobal.com. As usual, our DC Velocity editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, with the rebound in air travel, there are more flights available now to shippers including cargo-only flights and belly space on passenger planes. How can shippers take advantage of that extra capacity? To find out, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Pawan Joshi, Executive Vice President, Product Management and Strategy at Supply Chain Technology Provider E2Open. He's here to talk with us about current trends in air cargo and how they're affecting shippers. Welcome, Pawan. Thank you, Victoria. Great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. First, can you tell us a bit about E2Open? What does the company do to support supply chain operations? Sure. As you described, you know, we are a software uh, provider. Uh, our primary mode of service is SaaS, so we deploy in the cloud. And our platform allows our customers to really run their supply chain from an end-to-end perspective, all the way from, you know, how products are manufactured, how components are sourced, how ingredients are bought, to how they're manufactured, to how they're moved from where they're manufactured to where they're sold, and then also helps in the selling process. Uh, we look at our platform along you know, three broad areas. Uh, there is the underlying applications that are used to make decisions. There is the underlying network uh, that allows our customers to connect to their partners across multiple tiers of the manufacturing, logistics, and trade, and channel supply chain. Uh, as well as uh, a, a collaborative platform in which they can make uh, their decisions, not just uh, with users that belong to the to our customers, but also their trading partners across you know the entire outsource process. Terrific, thank you. So uh, as we said at the outset, we're talking about air cargo and demand um, is stabilizing following some big challenges during the pandemic. I wonder if you could talk a bit about those challenges of the past few years and, and why things are now sort of getting better. Absolutely. I think, you know, we, we the pandemic was really an eye opener, um, you know, across the board for supply chain and not just supply chain uh, professionals and practitioners, but also the rest of the world that you know, used to rely on supply chain, but never understood or even knew what supply chain was. Um, and as a result, what we saw during during the pandemic was a massive shift in terms of our consumption, um, both on the demand side, as well as how do you support that consumption on the supply side. Um, and when we look at supply and when we talk about supply, it's not just around ingredients and components, uh, but it's also around, you know, the freight capacity that is used to move things around. Um, and air cargo, just like any other mode of transportation, went through a massive upheaval. Um, you know, we, we saw that upheaval happen on the ocean side, on the road side, 
uh, on the rail side over the land transportation, but air also took a big hit. Uh, and it took a big hit for primarily for two reasons. Uh, number one, um, you know, lack of uh, personnel to keep the flights up and running and the infrastructure up and running. But more importantly, a lot of air cargo moves in you know the bellies of passenger uh, planes. And when that when the passenger flights came to a stop, uh, you know that capacity uh, that's available suddenly disappeared. So we saw a massive you know decline in in capacity that's available. But we also saw a massive decline in the demand, at least in the first few months uh, during the pandemic. Um, and if you look at and start looking at you know the the total uh, CTK, the cargo ton kilometer graph, you saw the demand drop down pretty dramatically. But as soon as we started kind of finding a new normal, somewhere around May of 2000, you know that demand went up pretty dramatically. And it went up dramatically because every mode of transportation was pretty much, um, you know. Uh, uh, going through uh, a massive demand spike. We saw, you know, uh, ocean ships getting backed up outside of ports. The same thing happened on air. Um, and air was even more dramatic because of the need to move, you know, the pandemic related stuff um, quicker into from geographies into uh, other parts of the world. And we saw that massive jump up. Now, over the last two, three years, on an average, the demand for air cargo has been going down. Um, but what this has really resulted in is uh, you know, the, the, the catch up um, that has happened to get around excess capacity. Uh, the big thing, um, if you take a step back and start thinking about now is the backdrop of the macro uh, conditions, macroeconomic conditions that we have, even though the demand um, of, of products has slowed down, um, I think excess air cargo capacity being available has actually helped, uh, especially um, providers and um, manufacturers that produce uh, products that can be moved, you know, very quickly over air. Um, think about, you know, high-tech, uh, semiconductor, a lot of that cargo that can move really quickly over air that is less bulky uh, can fit into, you know, um, the, the belly of aircraft, aircrafts and a lot of quantity can be moved. Uh, those tend to be, you know, the beneficiaries of this uh, excess capacity being available uh, now. And uh, that's really what's what's causing the demand to start catching up. So what can shippers do to take advantage of these current conditions? You know, there, there, I would say there are two or three things. Uh, one is the ability to actually think about uh, air, air transportation is one of the fastest modes of transportation, right? If you compare that with road or rail or ocean for that matter, uh, it is the fastest. And what it really allows uh, the shippers to do is to think about not predicting what they need to ship, you know, eight, 10, 12 weeks ahead of time, like they have to do for ocean or, you know, four, five, 10 days ahead of time, what they have to do for road and rail. In this particular case, they can think about what you need, you know, 24, 36, 48 hours ahead of time. And if you, the advantage that it provides the shippers is you don't have to think about what you need to ship and how much you need to ship so far ahead of time. And it allows them to then start reacting to, you know, what is really happening, get a better understanding of, you know, the, the, the reality on the ground and react to that movement of goods based on that reality. So a good example of this is uh, if you're moving freight on ocean, um, and you have to book, let's say, 10, 12 weeks ahead of time. Uh, you have to predict what are you going to move 10, 12 weeks ahead of time? What should you be producing to get ready 10, 12 weeks ahead of time so that they can be put on a boat and then 10, 12 weeks later arrive at the destination? What that does is it, it, you start, start to forecast. And by definition, forecast has you know, um, variability built into it. So the further out you're forecasting, the higher variability you have to deal with. Uh, you, move, you might move the wrong products to the wrong location. You might move the wrong kind of products in different 
styles, different colors, woolens versus cottons, depending on weather patterns changing. And what air availability of air cargo allows you to do, if, if you can leverage it, is the ability to start thinking about moving freight closer to when you need it. And that reduces the variability around forecasting, makes it much more certain. Um, it does come with a, with a higher cost, but at least you can offset that with you know higher degree of confidence that what you're going to ship is going to be used and is going to be the right kind. Right. And you mentioned, um, you know, high tech semiconductor industries as, as some that are affected by this. Are there any others um, or, you know, other industries that may not typically think of um, uh, shipping in this way that, that maybe could start thinking about that? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, we talk about high tech and semiconductor, but if you, if you take a step back and start thinking about pretty much any industry, uh, most industries are actually at the receiving end of a lot of high tech and semiconductor. Let's take automotive as an example, or in industrial for that matter, right? If you if you think about their supply chains, there's a lot more, um, you know, semiconductor, a lot more uh, glass, a lot more equipment, a lot more batteries going into those those kind of supply chains, and a lot of those supply chains are becoming more high tech than they ever were, right? The the, the move from let's say internal combustion to an electric vehicle has you know, kind of jump-started that. So when we start thinking about those supply chains, the traditional supply chains, you don't think about air freight in those supply chains because you're thinking about bulky you know, transmissions, you're thinking about gearboxes, you're thinking about engine blocks and all that. Well, all, all of a sudden now, if you go into EV mode, you're thinking about glass and semiconductor um, and, and motors, um, you know, those kind of things that are, in many cases, beneficiaries of, um, of, of being able to be moved on, on air, right? So, those are the things that we start thinking about. Traditionally, that 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 industry has been leveraging a lot of over the land and over ocean uh, type movements. Um, I think they will benefit a lot from you know some of these over the air type movements. Um, not that they're not doing it um, today, but I, I see that picking up way more than it is. So while on one hand we're thinking about high tech and and semiconductor. I think we got to also think about all the industries that use um, semiconductor and are relying more and more high tech would be beneficiaries of you know this motor transportation becoming more uh, more available in terms of capacity as well as in terms of cost. Great. Um, and peak shipping season is almost upon us. How will the trends we're talking about, you know, as well, well as other uh, cargo trends, affect the, this year's peak uh, in your in your opinion? Yeah, so I think this peak season, if you think about it from a holiday standpoint and all, most of the products are probably in region already placed to be, um, you know, placed in DCs and all that to move to the last uh, mile location, if you want to call them that, whether it's a retail store or a DC that can ship a parcel over to you. So I think what what has really happened is, uh, you know, with the macroeconomic conditions, uh, what they are right now, um, I believe that where air cargo will come in is the ability for a lot of these companies to leverage air freight as a means to balance out what they thought would sell um, versus is not getting sold. But more importantly, what they thought is not going to get sold has a higher demand. So being able to leverage this faster mode of transportation to move freight, uh, move goods into regions and move the kind of goods that you never thought would sell enough uh, into regions where they're actually selling more. So the, this, because there's extra capacity available and the demand's lower, um, that would be the way I think a lot of shippers would be able to react to the the the, uh, the peak season. It is, you know, 15, 10, 15, uh, 20 weeks ago when you started pre-positioning your products, if the forecast what you had was not accurate and the macroeconomic conditions did not allow you to forecast based on, you know, what your prior experiences were, this allows you to 
kind of course correct places where you actually under forecast it and you have the ability to move it from you know a different region into in region is there anything else about this topic or you know supply chain trends in general you want you think our listeners should be watching closely just to finish up here yeah i think one of the things that um, you know we have realized um in, in a much more um i would say uh, uh important manner and much more effective manner um, is that supply chains are super connected right we're talking about air being a mode of transportation uh primarily but logistics as a mo as in general combining that with the concept of forecasting and supply management and demand management all of a sudden has the ability to unlock a lot of constraints that we see um, with the example that I gave around using air freight to, to balance out you know forecast errors just because forecast will always have errors and if you under forecasted something and you cannot use a traditional mode of transportation how about leveraging a faster mode of transportation to actually account for that every one of these decisions are get interconnected today our decision making process is broken down into silos you know demand planning does demand planning supply planning does it stuff logistics and transportation does their own stuff but if we actually come together and start solving these problems we have the ability to convert uh, these these forecast errors potential disruptions um, you know whether it be because of weather whether it be because of you know geopolitical reasons you have the ability to react to them in a much more holistic manner in a much more effective manner and in my mind a much more proactive manner because you're then able to look look at not what your constraints are but what how can you relax your constraints based on you know uh, uh, based on uh, options that are available across other departments so in my mind opening up and starting to think about the problem holistically starting to think about it end to end starting to involve your partners in solving the problem is really the way to go about doing it uh, in the past technology was a constraint to do that you know we didn't have the right computer infrastructure we didn't have the cloud deployment models we did not have the ability to move data around we did not have the ability to process vast amounts of data to make decisions technology is there now uh, we've seen that over and over again i think now is the time to actually start thinking about how do you change our business processes our decision making leveraging the technology to start thinking about the supply chain as a connected process not ending at departmental boundaries not ending at enterprise boundaries but think about it as a holistic thing and recognize that you know brands don't compete against each other it's the supply chains behind the brands that are actually competing against each other and that's that's the power of uh, how we need to th start thinking about it all good advice pawan thank you for joining us today we appreciate your insights thank you very much victoria appreciate the opportunity we have been talking with pawan joshi of e2 open back to you dave Thank you, Pawan and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Robotics are being applied to nearly every aspect of our supply chains. And Ben, you wrote this week about recent advancements in trailer loading robots. Can you share what you learned? Yeah, I'd be glad to, Dave. Um, that, as you say, we see robots uh, really everywhere um, that throughout, particularly inside um, the, the warehouse in the DC, um, around the yard, um, moving trailers, but one problem that has been really hard to solve has been getting boxes and or pallets into and out of truck trailers or shipping containers. Uh, it's one of these warehouse jobs that's actually really hard on human workers to do, and for good reasons. Uh, the boxes are heavy, of course. Those trucks are obviously parked outside the DC at the dock door, so hot and cold weather extremes come into play. And it all happens in a really restricted dark space. Uh, so right now humans are doing it, but it's really hard work. 
Uh, but in recent months, we've seen some progress in automating that. Uh, we, all three of us were at uh, the major ProMat trade show about six months ago, and there were long lines there to watch some robots from three different vendors that had uh, arms, automated arms that could unload trailers. Um, they used uh, special end effectors on those arms that had suction cups to grab box after box and then to place them onto a nearby conveyor. Uh, examples of those, uh, Boston Dynamics and Pickle were two of the ones that really had big crowds around them. Uh, and Mujin also had another uh, slightly different type of arrangement. Um, but it, it was really impressive to see some of that progress. Well, I do remember seeing those crowds at those booths on the Promat show floor, but they're still kind of in early development and pilot stages, right? And not really in full production yet? Uh, that's exactly right. These solutions are all pretty cutting edge right now. Uh, they require a lot of computer vision, um, artificial intelligence, and that's so that the uh, robots can recognize a box, tell which way is up, tell uh, what, where the best um, part of the box is to lift from. Uh, these are things that humans, of course, take for granted, but uh, it, it takes a lot of computing power for a machine to do it. Uh, having said that, we saw two steps lately that showed some real progress. Um, one was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was a deal where Boston Dynamics uh, said that it will provide its container unloading robot, they call it Stretch, in more than 20 facilities over the next two years. That's for a German e-commerce retailer called the Otto Group. And the other one was just a few days ago, uh, FedEx actually said that they were going to run a pilot test of a system that runs in the opposite direction, and that's loading the trailers instead of unloading them. Uh, the engineers in the field that I've talked to have said that it's a tougher challenge even uh, than the ones that unload them. Uh, and that's largely because, like, if you think of that Jenga game with the wooden blocks, uh, building a tower the right way uh, can be a lot harder than knocking it down, which you can do with just one hit, right? Uh, but there's a California startup called Dexterity AI uh, that thinks that it has it figured out. Uh, it has a robot that navigates to the back of the trailer, connected, again, to a conveyor that feeds it boxes. And then it builds what the firm calls uh, stable, dense walls of randomized boxes. So that's even harder when you get a parcel carrier like FedEx, because they, of course, accept packages of any size and shape, uh, whatever people decide to ship. Uh, so we'll see how you know both of those new applications go um, with the difficulty of the particular warehouse task for people and a really tight labor market that makes it hard to find them. Uh, the technology could really make a big difference if it continues to work out. Right. And they, they do sound like some very interesting solutions to make all that heavy work in a warehouse much, much easier. Hoping so. Thanks, Ben. And Victoria, along the same technology idea, there's a growing need for technicians in the trucking industry. And you wrote this week about some of the welcome growth among technicians of one specific demographic. Can you share the details? Yes, happy to, Dave. So women continue to make strides in the trucking industry. We've talked about that a lot. And many are actually gaining traction as equipment technicians. And that's according to data from the 2023 Women in Trucking Index, which was released earlier this year by the Women in Trucking Association. And the news comes as the trucking industry celebrates National Technician Appreciation Week this week. And that's an event sponsored by American Trucking Associations, or ATA, and its Technology and Maintenance Council. Both groups, both Women in Trucking and ATA, emphasize this week the important role that technicians play in keeping trucking safe and goods flowing across America's highways. And as Women in Trucking pointed out, uh, women represent a larger share of that profession today than they have in the past. 
So, Victoria, what do the numbers actually show us? Well, according to the Women in Trucking Index, more than 7% of technicians working for corporations with for hire or private fleets are women. That may sound like a small percentage, but it's up from less than 4% uh, in 2022. So a pretty good jump over last year. And the figure is rising alongside the number of professional women drivers in the industry as well. And that reached 12% uh, this year, according to the same index. Now this index tracks women's progress in trucking across a wide range of jobs, not just these two. Um, and some other findings, which were released as part of a larger report over the summer, showed that nearly 44% of dispatchers are women, about 32% of women are in C-suite or executive positions, 37% are in supervisory leadership roles, and 28% serve on boards of directors. Uh, listeners interested in learning more about the study or about uh, women in trucking can check out their website at womenintrucking.org. Um, and it's, it's an interesting site. There's lots of information about the industry in general, uh, women in trucking's mission to promote gender diversity in the industry, um, you know, other resources, as well as stories about women truck drivers and how they came to the industry. So a lot going on at uh, that association. Right. And we certainly believe that growing diversity is always a good thing in our industry. Absolutely. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links to read more about the topics that we discussed today. And we'd like to thank Paula and Joshi of E2 Open for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this story and our other stories. And you can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fastlane, co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Search for Supply Chain in the Fastlane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Envision Global. Envision Global is a leader in global freight management solutions and services, specializing in freight audit and payment, order management, supplier management, visibility, TMS, and freight spend analytics. Their end-to-end -end solutions and services enable you to manage your entire global shipping processes within the confines of a single, easy-to-use platform. Interested in saving 7 to 12% or more on your freight spend? Then check out EnvisionGlobal.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.